Hello and welcome to The Fandomentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. I've spent my life trying to build something here. Growing up, a non-white, non-straight girl in Blue Springs, Nebraska. I wouldn't wish to excite your anticipation. I never asked to be made! Exactly the, hero I to be. the theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Soner, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hi, everyone. And the three of us write for TheFandamentals.com, your geeky media website analysis thing, bringing you fundamentally sound <laughs> fandom analysis. What? That was a perfect description. Don't laugh at me. It's a thing with the stuff, yes. Yep. It's yep. the thing we with the, the stuff, stuff and the comics and the shows and the reviews. And That's the, basically what it reads on my resume. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. As we normally do for, you know, this podcast, we're going to start off by talking about some fandom news, what's been going on in the geeky spaces and things. I think this actually might be a bit of a light week, but uh, mostly because we didn't do a whole ton of research. (laughs) Well, most of what I've seen has been just like trailers everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot of trailers. We've had a lot of trailer like, so there was like a, a sixth Wonder Woman trailer that came out yeah. today or yesterday, and or a bunch of like show that. trailers like uh, Dark Tower, and um, what's the uh, the Inhumans? I think too. Yes, yeah, Inhumans. That was what I was thinking of. Thank you, Gretchen. And, um, and the Defenders Express. Is that was that just a poster or was that a trailer? Yeah. Are they remaking that? Yeah, well, yeah, I guess with Ken- for like the millionth time. Johnny Depp is going to be in it, and everyone's just like, yeah, what? Johnny Depp. It's, is it going to be yeah. gritty? Well, it's Murder on the Orient Express. It's pretty gritty. That's <laughs> right. It's pretty gritty. Um, wasn't there an article that just came out that was like Johnny Depp wears an earpiece so he yeah. doesn't yep. to memorize his that shit? Is. Yeah, he, he gets fed his lines. Uh, Johnny Depp, just oh god, the, the dumpster fire that is Johnny Depp. No, it's it's, it's like you know, like how Trump is like arguably the most successful man in the world at this point, but he's still a fucking loser. That's how I feel yep. about yep. Johnny Depp. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're successful by any objective metric, but somehow you still manage to be a loser. I'm not sure how. <laughs> My best friend in high school, Jennifer, was, like, obsessed with Johnny Depp. Because basically we both had a crush on Legolas, and then we went to see Pirates of the Caribbean, and she came out being like, you know, that Johnny Depp is really something. <laughs> and I came out being like, you know, that Kira Knightley is really something. <laughs> um... And sorry, Orlando Bloom, none of us were really overly impressed. But she used to like make me watch every single Johnny Depp film that was available at that time, which was not as wide a selection. So you watched a lot of Tim Burton. Yeah, Mm, it was it was like all Tim Burton. A lot of Edward Scissorhands, because that was like the best of the bunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Needless to say, I'm okay if he doesn't star in anything else. Yeah. Speaking of people who used to contribute something creatively to life. That is tortured, but okay. <laughs> Continue, my love. I was going to say speaking of dumpster fires, but maybe that's better. I mean, I think we said the same thing in different God. ways. <laughs> right. Um, what we're all trying to reach for is J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, who, what, who apparently yeah. has made, like, a yearly habit of apologizing for killing off her characters. Has she? I've yeah. never noticed this. Did she? Like, the... 
Yeah, she's apologized for several, and this year I, it's Did she apologize for not killing Ron or something like that? No, she apologized for getting Ron and Hermione together. She's like, they've uh, never worked. They need therapy. <laughs> right. But just because they um, need therapy. Um, but the, now she's decided to apologize for killing off Severus Snape. So, Which was like, cool. I'm sorry, one of the most justified character deaths in yeah, the history of anything. Yeah. Like, why is she apologizing? Apologize I for just, Hedwig, woman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I just don't know why you would apologize no matter what. Exactly. Like, like as a creator, like, apologizing for creative decisions just sounds weird. Yeah, like, I don't apologize for for Laurie and Rollin not having sex. I have asked you to apologize countless times for that. I will not. <laughs> no, you know, I kind of understand. I appreciate, like, looking back, I, I wish I'd gone in a different direction. And I think that was more of what she was saying with Ron and Hermione. She's like, yeah. looking back, I wasn't brave enough to not do that. I was just determined to make it work. But, like, it really didn't feel right, is what she ended up saying. Mm-hmm. But with this, it's like, I'm really sorry for killing Snape. Like, because what? he has, like, some weird fan girl cult. I don't know. Yeah, who, yeah who's she even apologizing to? Who's, like, upset? I'm sure there are people who are. Yeah. Just not people that I know. <laughs> or us. All right. Well, oh. well, J.K. Rowling, don't be sorry, but please just don't talk anymore. Yeah. Is it good? Yeah. Like, move on. Like, didn't you have a successful adult novel? Do more of those. Right. Just, yeah. Just go sure swim in your piles and piles ideas. of money. Like, you can do that. We'll do that. Yeah, you. Yeah, you can. You can retire for from Harry Potter for a while and like just enjoy all of the money that it has gotten you. Yeah. Instead of like the things that you have been doing. I was like, please. Uh, yeah. Okay. Or maybe she could write a like sequel that was like, hey, just kidding. Hermione and Ron broke up, and then Hermione and Luna and Ginny all decided to like move in together and have an OT three. Like, I'd be cool with that. <laughs> But that's pretty much the only thing I'd be, the only reason I'd be like, yay, more Harry Potter at this point. I just, I just <laughs> love that at this point of the Harry Potter fandom, this is like the only fandom where it's like, oh, the author said something else and everyone's like, oh. Right? <laughs> okay. What she is gave it us more information than we wanted. Yeah. It, it's just always something terrible too. Yeah. Okay. okay. Moving on. Exciting uh, things. Yeah. So I want, I want to say, speaking of exciting things, except this isn't, this is just me. Just in enjoying the uh, what's the schnod that that word where you take pleasure in other people's um, Schadenfreude, Schadenfreude, yeah, yeah. I've never known the pronunciation. I've only seen it written, but pitch that uh, TV show about the female pitcher. baseball player. Yeah. yeah, the pitcher was canceled after one season, and I'm not surprised at all. I'm not mm-hmm. surprised at all either because that pilot alone was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. When it had like a dead dad reveal. I don't, it seemed like, it seemed like the more you know about baseball, the less watchable the show is. Oh my god, that yep. was so terrible. She didn't meet. She was a starting pitcher, and she didn't meet the starting catcher until her <laughs> debut when she was like, "You can't." That is just so unbelievably stupid. Yeah, I know a little about baseball. I care about it even less. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those shows I wanted to succeed. Just <laughs> yeah. because the idea of it was interesting. Even if I never watched it, I would have been like, yay, go, yeah. go show. Um, 
But from what I heard, it was just not well. Worth they all just the like hype. very assertively went, "Don't worry, she's straight." In like the second episode, the uh, first or second episode, because like you know the connotations of a of a softball player. Oh my gosh! Remember the whole like oh. Elena Kagan bullshit. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I don't want to. <laughs> no, but when Elena Kagan was getting nominated for the, to the Supreme Court, there was like a photo that came out of her playing, playing softball. softball. It, it was like seen as some kind of like you know, oh my god, uh, confirmation that she's a lesbian. Yeah, smoking gun of something. I don't know. Oh my god, it's like two men sunbathing uh-huh. on a beach. You know, um, I'm sorry, I'll move on from that. But yeah, you're right. It's one of the shows that did well conceptually, but just the execution was oh my god, not good. Uh, oh, speaking of bad execution, Secret Empire, Marvel's dumpster fire. That could have been a segue, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Issue number one came out today, and, like, I'm not purchasing it, but I have happened to see some things, you know, <laughs> as as one does. Yes. Right. And, look, I have to be perfectly honest, they're presenting fascism in a really weird way. Weird how? How so? Look, so, like, a depiction's not endorsement, right? And, like, obviously I don't approve of any aspect of this and that they're just basically using Nazi imagery like to be edgy and cool and like Captain America's like none of this wow, is good so none of this had cool. a chance like none of this had a chance of being good but they're not even really displaying Hydra in a purely negative light that's like, weird there's there's this spread that I think is obviously supposed to be propaganda but it's like you know, crime is down and the economy's booming. And, like, it's just totally really weird. It's really weird. That is like, really weird. I, I can't imagine you're not supposed to be disturbed. But at the same time, if you're reading this and you are, like, a white supremacist or someone who's really into fascism, I could see you reading this and being emboldened by it. Um... And it's just so carelessly handled, which no one's surprised at, but, like... Yeah. Ian Ian just had a uh, piece out today that was like, don't boycott Marvel because, like, you know, there's movies that are good. Mm-hmm. There's still, like, Ms. Marvel and, like, Squirrel Girl and, like, all the all these characters that are doing things well. But just don't fucking buy Secret Empire and it's, like, tied. It's, it's just, no. I mean, like, the thing oh about, like, God. you know, it's an event and just mm-hmm. so many other titles are being just sucked into the void of it. And that's upsetting. I, I mean, I don't like events at all. Yeah, they're, they're annoying, as far as I can tell. Personally. It's like I'm getting into this canon mm-hmm. and this storyline. Let me just f- read that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, same same goes for TV shows. Like every time there's a crossover episode for Supergirl, I'm rolling my eyes. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a week long, I'm just like, I don't really want to watch this show. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Like, I, mean, I don't watch The Flash. Thanks. Yeah, and then like the fact that they resolve other shows' plot lines in like in each other. It's like, wow, that's not a good choice. Yep. So, uh, anyway, good news. We have three pieces of good news. Yes. Yeah. Okay, go. There's not going to be a writer strike. Hooray. Woo. Woo. It's, a, it's, it's a tentative yeah. deal, right? But Tentative deal. Well, there's not going to yeah. be a writer strike the same way there's not going to be a government shutdown. Okay, yeah. got it. That's perfect analogy. Yes. Right. Um, Wonder Woman. New Wonder Woman. Gonna, yeah, we're excited mm-hmm. about Wonder Woman, right? Yeah, I'm excited about Wonder Woman. Yeah. The, the trailer cuts look really good. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I'm concerned about the prominence of the male love interest. Oh, yeah, I know what you're yeah. saying. But Brooke Ends is we'll in it, out. so that's exciting. We'll yeah. find out. I mean, it, it, this is going to be this. This is really going to be uh, an important movie, I think, for DC yeah. because they've kind of like no one's really liking their Superman stuff because why would they? 
then they've had two movies that have come out, Suicide Squad and, and Batman v Superman, which had a good movie somewhere, but were obviously left on the cutting room floor. <laughs> And so then this is just like, can you write a fucking coherent piece but, that like, we're going it to enjoy? To be that the one good thing about uh, Batman versus Superman was Wonder Woman. Right. So yes. hopefully they can well, not I think fuck it, it up. I mm-hmm. think it's more that just like she didn't stick out as being noticeably bad. <laughs> like, right. Uh, so th- this is going to be an important one for them. And it's like, can we feel, can we go to these movies and have fun too? Mm. Because that's just really been absent. Yeah, it'd be great if we could. But, um, yeah, anyway, it'd be nice. The, the final piece of good news is very good news. Yeah, uh, Gretchen, you want to announce it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, so yeah if it. Gretchen's got to announce it. <laughs> um, if people haven't seen already, they Clexicon has confirmed that there is going to be a second um, convention next year in yay. 2018. So yay, that's exciting. Well, I just figured, you know, Gretchen went. She should be the one to get to. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Gretchen's kind of a yeah, big that, deal in Clarkson. That looks like so much fun. Yeah, apparently. And hopefully, and hopefully, I will be going next year. So yeah, awesome. yeah, we've we don't know if it'll get accepted yet, but <clears throat> Kylie and I have talked about pitching a Legend of Korra panel because there was no Legend of Korra at Clexicon this year, and we that's like that's weird. Why it's would Korra you not Sami. have Legend? Yeah, it's right? Korasami, bitches. Like, yeah, I mean, which yeah, we will talk more about later. <laughs> Avatar wisdom is the thing of the past, Bolin. Come on. We will talk about Legend of Korra later, but before we get into that, speaking of age inappropriate things. <laughs> no, this is actually uh something a discussion I think we've wanted to have for a little bit. Um for anyone who doesn't know, I am the youngest on this podcast mm. and I'm 28. So we are what you would call older millennials yeah even pushing ever so gently into gen x depending on who you talk to though i I think we're pretty firmly millennials yeah every cutoff i've seen um Mm -hmm. we act like millennials and (laughs) we ruin everything (laughs) but we're like we're like the we're like the millennials who are still okay using facebook for things (laughs) right you know for that side of things um but, you know, for, for that reason, we do, as, as just being people who engage in fandom, engage with younger people. Like, oh, yes. you know, mm-hmm. 20s, even down into, you know, 14, like sometimes you're arguing with someone and then you realize they're 14. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I'm not cool with this, like my, the tone I'm using anymore. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and I think one of the questions is like, you know, are you, are you ever, it, not that this is a question, but like, why do you still fandom? Are you too old for it? Like, no, we're not, no. obviously. But, but what right. is it that attracts us three schmadults to the fandom? <laughs> well, like, this, this is not an original observation, but like, what's the difference between like Shakespeare fandom and Legend mm. of Korra fandom other than Shakespeare happened to be in the public domain? Well, Legend of Korra was aimed for children, specifically. Okay, so not Legend of Korra, Star Trek. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, none? I mean, Star yeah. Trek is an older fandom, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, just... It's one of the okay. oldest. You know what? You think you're missing my point. <laughs> what is to be a fan? No, I, yeah. I know what you're saying, <laughs> my dear. I mean, it's, like, when you think about it, like, distinguishing between, like, fans of media and like fans of lit like classical literature yeah. is is an arbitrary distinction of course it is 
Yeah, and the same kind of thing exists in like you know literary fiction versus genre fiction, right? So yeah, well, it's it's funny because we're we're going to be having these pieces come out on the weekends for our site. Uh, I'm not sure what the frequency is. Maybe once a month, maybe once every couple weeks. About like fandoms that aren't you know fandoms, but like mm-hmm. fantasy football for for God's sake. Like people are definitely like that's an AU based on sports. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that's a fandom. Right. Um, and ju- just like there's all sorts of weird things you can be really into. Like Julia tried to get like a, a needlework blog going. <laughs> I'm just horrible at keeping up with anything. Um, useful dash activity. I haven't updated in like two months. I know. So it's not really useful or activity at this Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. It was a Jane Austen quote. It. So it was totally. Let's just fandom. shame Julia. Let's just shame Julia for her terrible needlework output. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's a better. Well, that's point another point to make. Uh-huh. Um, the way that, like Shakespeare, to choose a random example, an interest in Shakespeare is perceived versus like interest in Jane Austen is perceived. Mm. I wonder what the difference is there. Yeah, well, maybe there's that. It, maybe it begins with an X <laughs> and ends with an exism. There also does seem to be like a genuine difference in the way it's perceived like I'm engaging mm-hmm. with books or I'm engaging with gardening versus I'm engaging mm-hmm. with a song of ice and fire fandom. Yeah. Like there does seem to be I, I don't know what it is, but at some point there's a stigma that's like, this is not what an adult should do. Yeah, and, and it's like newness as well, right? Like if you're into mm. classic classic science fiction movies, that's different from if you're into like, you know, current science fiction. If you still read, like, you know, science fiction and fantasy magazine, that's weird. But if you read the collective works of Asimov that were all published in that, then, you know, like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even Star Wars is kind of encouraged mm-hmm. a little bit to be like, well, consider the new generation that's watching it. Yeah. It's like, what, what? But I'm still watching it. I don't understand. Right. And what's interesting to me is that it's the kind of reaction that I expect from um, to be blunt, from like older people, like I expect it. People. Yeah, I expect it to be like you know, people my parents' age being like, "Why do you still like that stuff?" Yeah, because like that's the stuff you liked when you were a kid. But right. most of the time, when I see like, "Why are you here?" It's from like the youngins. Yeah, they're like, they're like, "You're thirty. You're too old." And I'm like, <laughs> "Why? Like, who decided that?" Like, <laughs> but. Then you get into, like, other situations, like, you know, the bromies, where you can yeah. you can talk about adults, specifically adult males, kind of, like, quote-unquote, invading space that's meant for young women. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so there there are, I think, power differentials mm. that, that do need to be considered when you're older in a fandom. Like, I'm not going to take a post by someone 16 and just rip it to shreds, because mm-hmm. that's just really inappropriate. And also, like, you know, you tend to be a little, like, this is a broad brush, obviously, but you do tend to just be a little less reactive and have a little more impulse control as you age. That's just the human condition. Right. Yeah. And more kind of ability to see nuance. <laughs> well, there, to a degree, yeah. but I'm, I'm, I'm saying more that, like, I think that if you're old and you're older and picking fights with people, it's like, whoa, something's really yeah, exactly. off here because right. what are you doing or if you're inserting your space is self kind of uncomfortably into like circles yeah i mean like mm-hmm. i remember I, we, I once like got this extremely nasty reblog when i was still on tumblr from someone who was like yelling about 
like younger people invading the Song of Ice and Fire space. Do you remember oh that? Oh my god! Yeah, you millennials with your Harry Potter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Just like, okay, I liked Harry Potter once when I was like, so now I'm not worthy to comment on a song of ice and fire. And we got into this like relog war. It was it was very disturbing, if I recall. That was so weird. Yeah, yeah gatekeeping, like, mm-hmm. and gatekeeping is just like such an odd phenomenon to me. Like, and, I mean, because that's basically what that is. It's like, if you like that thing, you can't possibly like this thing, too. But is that like, what oh, we're I... doing as book snobs? Hold on, hold on. Here's Let me just read the ask that Joya got. I'm so tired of millennials overanalyzing A Song of Ice and Fire. You all sound like you're writing an eighth grade book report. And for the record, the age demographic from 1995 and up until about season three was 30 plus males. And then all you Harry Potter kiddies jumped on the bandwagon, killing the fandom with your progressive politically correct bullshit. <laughs> And then, and Joey's just like, wow, post law's a bitch. (laughs) I say that a lot lately. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, because you don't know if they're being hyperbolic or if they're just really that sincere of an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so so that's like the super old side of the fandom, yeah, but, I guess. Like, it's just like that whole, the whole idea of just like you're overanalyzing this. It's just a stupid fantasy and you come in here with your themes and shit. <laughs> just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> they're odd. Um, and I, I think that's what's like, that's what I really like about engaging with fandom like as a different age is that I think like you bring different things to the table with where you are in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a really, like, I think that's a really good thing. Like at this point, you know, I, I'm kind of bored after work, so I'm going to overanalyze media. Like that's, what's fun for me. Mm-hmm. And then you can, you know, there's people who overanalyze media in a way that I think is ridiculous. Like the people who are saying that the Star Wars, Star Wars prequels are secretly good movies. <laughs> if you like understand this one theory of yeah. filmmaking or whatever the fuck like you know what i'm talking about or the yep. people like basically any star wars analysis i'm like okay <laughs> this is too much <laughs> but like in general I, th- I think it's it. yeah but i in general i think like a lot of the heavy lifting of analysis comes from you know either people in college or yeah. out of college more recently then there's the sort of curative fans that might be older but could give you like a, a larger breadth of knowledge just depending on what fandom we're talking but about i remember like when they, they first started having university courses on harry potter like people laughed people thought that was ridiculous mm. it was one of those like novelty news items that is so right. stupid though because like these pieces of media they're mm. you know the forum through which cultural conversations are happening and like you know to bang this analogy into the ground shakespeare was popular media once and yep. he wasn't exactly highbrow you know nope and i'm sure there were if you went back to like shakespeare's day and are like yeah. you would be like we have college courses about his plays people would be like why you're just supposed to enjoy them yeah you're just supposed to like watch them and enjoy yourself why do you have to overanalyze it <laughs> just like enjoy the dick jokes like <laughs> um, oh, like exactly like shakespeare is full of dick jokes like right a lot of fucking Lawrence olivier posing before monologues that fucking ruined shakespeare in my opinion yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> frankly when you get deeper into shakespeare analysis you kind of do start to wonder like why the hell are we giving this guy so much attention <laughs> <laughs> i no, i just love the sonnet series that are all about his boyfriends <laughs> <laughs> I love all of the like hidden like sex jokes and dick jokes because 
like linguistic change. Yeah, I, I like that, the like, things that don't... only work if you rhyme them before the Great English Vowel Shift. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are a lot of like, and it'll be in like serious, like what we consider to be like serious monologues. Yeah. And I'm like, no, this like, it's also serious, but also this is like full of dick jokes or like, <laughs> or like jokes about women. Like, yeah. Like every time they're talking about pockets, they're talking about vaginas. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. I sometimes feel like academia is just, like, a very specific brand of fandom. Oh, absolutely. When you get oh, to it. Because, yeah. like, if you, th- if you just take into consideration, like, English academia, no. where it's... If you it's think like, Tumblr let's... Flame Wars are bad, you have never been to an academic conference. Right? Seriously. Oh, my gosh. But, like, in- English academia is this weird thing mm. where they'll be like, let's take this one lens of this one theorist from this one century yeah. and apply it to this one text of this other century... And what do you get? And you're like, why are you doing this? I'm like, oh, it's like a, like a, um, when you, when universes collide. Yeah. Style. yeah. It's a crossover. It's, a, it's, it's about, like, it's a exactly. Quality of the human experience, Kylie. <laughs> right. And it's just like adding to the ethos and like, well, I think it's interesting. It's like one of those, it's like, it's like those don't like, don't read fix. It's, yeah. like, it's basically right. English academia conversations at all times. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I don't think there's anything necessarily of- wrong with that. No, mm-hmm. no. Just like there's, it just, it, yeah, yeah. Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with, you know, let's talk about a Marxist interpretation of like sense and sensibility. Like just like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's it is it's fun to think about. It makes you think about you know things that are familiar in an mm-hmm. entirely different way, which yeah. is useful for many reasons. Well, yeah, and it's just interesting that like. What narratives are you allowed to do exactly. that with? Because like it's, it's I like, could give you it's a like Marxist fan fiction, you yeah. know, like you can write fanfic on Jane Eyre and win the Booker Prize. But on the other hand, if you write fanfic about Harry Potter or something else, that's like you know, oh my gosh, you're breaking the law or whatever it is people say. <laughs> or maybe, right. you, or maybe you get a movie deal for Fifty Shades. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's this art like arbitrary lines have been drawn mm-hmm. between like fandom like what fandom is and what like the rest of human experience is for whatever reason and, like, like that legitimate being different... le- 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 legitimate criticism is as well right right and i feel like there's this i would call it a weird kind of um maybe not acedia but the idea of like you're not supposed to like enjoy things the way that people in fandom do yeah like this level of like you can't be a fangirl or a fanboy because if you are, like, you're like, you're not supposed to be that excited about things. I'm like, but why not though? Like, why am I not allowed to be like, oh my gosh, I love this thing. Let's talk about the thing. It's just like, <laughs> does why? This go back to like getting shoved into lockers for being nerds. Is like that where all this stems from? I don't like, know. But what does that have to do with like us being old? <laughs> like, you're allowed. You're allowed to be. You're allowed to be excited about. Like, I guess that kind of like lack of cynicism is considered childlike childish yeah childish. yeah that like when you get when you get old you're not allowed to be excited about the things you yeah. like you're only allowed to be excited about i don't know mortgage payments taxes it's that, yeah no no it's that, <laughs> it's that spongebob episode where they're trying to be like you're an adult now and patrick Dixon is like puff out your chest say tax exemption and acquire a taste for freeform jazz <laughs> And like, that's, that's the, and you know, I think it's funny because I feel like because we don't do that inherently, no one fucking does. We always feel like we're not really adults. Yeah. Like we're faking this. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely still feel like I'm faking the whole adult thing. Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. So, so, 
I mean, I guess our conclusion is that like it's bullshit. Of like course. we still like we still fandom because we're still human beings who like to in, who enjoy things and are we're willing still to just because we're fans. Yeah, we're willing to just be excited about things. Adult that we like. adulthood is a legal distinction, but it's also mostly just a social construct in terms of yep. behavior. Like mm-hmm. there there is a legal institution of adulthood and that matters for how our yep. laws are crafted. But outside of that, we you don't become a different person and I and you know, I remember one time I was like nearing the end of college and I asked my mom, when do you stop feeling like you're faking all this? And she's like, I'll let you know. It's like, holy <laughs> shit, that's terrifying. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But now I'm, I'm just a crusty ass 30 something Sandra shipper. <laughs> Sorry. I like, that's one of my favorite, like insults, supposed insults that ever came out of watching Supergirl. Some that's an insult. Yeah. Some young, like there was a young person who was, you know, was like, why can't you let us enjoy Supercorp? Why can't you crusty ass 30 something Sandra shippers let us enjoy Supercorp? And I was like, one, I like both, so I don't care. Who, who's Two, stopping anyone from enjoying Supercorp? Why are they mutually exclusive? Right? I was like, am I, okay. There's not even any overlap. I just like to call myself a crusty ass, like now, but now like crusty ass 30 something like Super. fandom person is like my new, like I wear it like a badge of pride, like I do social justice warrior. Like, yeah, oh I'm a crusty ass 30 something fan, fangirl. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> the only people stopping you from enjoying Supercorp are the writers. <laughs> so it would seem. All right. On that note, let's transition out. Ah, very true. Damn tedious waste of an evening. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Why are you excited, Joya? Because this is our very last adaptational maxim. <gasps> but wait, number seven. We've been at this for more than seven episodes now. Wait, Joya, what's in max adaptational maxim? <laughs> well, there was this dude long ago oh my named God. David O. Shelsnick, and he I'm... was really into the like book to movie adaptation fandom. Was he also into <laughs> methamphetamines? He was into methamphetamines. <laughs> and one of the things he liked to do while he was high on methamphetamines was dictate these long rambling memos. And one of these long rambling memos was to the screenwriter of this little movie you may have heard of called Gone with the Wind. Uh, which is considered to be one of the most successful book-to-movie adaptations ever. And yeah, out of this yeah. long, rambling, drug-fueled memo, you can kind of tease out with your, like, skills for taking notes that you acquired in high school. Like, you know, like make the outline method. You know, you remember oh the God, outline Julia, method, right? Julia. <laughs> Julia is a teacher. Needs some cutting, too. So... I'm a huge Rachel Maddow fan. Can you tell? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Anyway. So, adaptational maxim coming up. Yes. So, there were seven kind of general ideas that he thought the screenwriter should keep in mind that, in my personal opinion, should be, like, must-read for anyone who's ever attempting adaptations. And so, we've gone through six. Uh, They talked about character. They talked about tone. They talked about, like, pacing. But the last one is, I think, kind of the most um, essentialist. Like, if you could pick one, it would be this. He says, throughout the picture, our greatest problem is going to be to get the background in unobtrusively while we, call, we, while we concentrate on the personal story. So basically what he's saying is that when you adapt a text, you're not adapting the plot per se you're adapting like the essential part of the personal story you're adapting basically character arcs 
right? And and messaging, right? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, his focus uh, uh, was always on adaptation of the characters and their stories rather than the plot or their setting. So the hierarchy is always characters before themes before plot, right? Obviously, the plot and the world building are very important, but characters and themes are, you know, that's what the story's about. The story's not about the stuff that happens. The story is about the characters and their arcs and, like, what happens to the characters, Oh, gee, maybe is this maybe why the three of us are all about themes and shit? <laughs> have we made a themes and shit shirt yet? No, oh, I haven't. Really. I'll, I'll get on it. I'll get okay. On. Okay. Yeah, okay, so making an adaptation shit. into, like, a discrete set of plot points. Just like, you know, like, okay, so I'm adapting, I'm adapting, like, the three wolves. So I'll have four scenes, one for each house, and then something at the end. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. T- turning that into a three sets of plot points, it's always tempting me because it's, it's, you know, it's far easier than kind of, you know, having to make plot changes and having to move things around while still maintaining character and character arcs. That's obviously, you know, very, very hard in the face of that. But anything less is just not only a grave, grave disservice to the source material, like, you just end up with two stories that bear a superficial resemblance to each other. Oh, you mean like the checklist effect? Like the checklist effect. You may have heard us talk about the checklist effect. Um, but, like, <laughs> you know, the problem is that, like, you know, exposition is hard at the best of times. And when yep. you're switching mediums, especially, like, you know, medium, like, I think... I bring this up every single time, but when you write a book, you could, you're allowed to just go on forever, you know, but right. visual mediums always have much more tight time constraints, right? Yeah. Either you have a movie that can't be longer than three hours or else like your audience will have exploded bladders and, <laughs> or like, you know, TV where it's just prescribed, you know, you, you have 42 minutes, you know, 53 or 55 if you're lucky. And, but like the, the, Think about a bad adaptation is this, like, this is how you can tell a bad adaptation. Like, you can watch something not knowing it's an adaptation. Yeah. But if mm-hmm. the story is just a discrete set of plot points, like, oh, this is an adaptation. Mm-hmm. I know. It's like, when I watched, I recently, kind of recently-ish, watched The Sword in the Stone again, just like, because mm-hmm. I remembered it watching my childhood. But halfway through, I was just like, this is an adaptation. What's this an adaptation of? Let's look it up. Oh, it's an adaptation yeah. of this. Well, because you could tell just because they were, they were just barreling from point to point to point to point, And there was no emphasis on the character. It was just like stuff that was happening. Right, Julia, mm-hmm. you, you actually wrote a piece on this on mm-hmm. The Last Airbender. Yeah. And your piece was saying that, like, The Last Airbender proves that all bad adaptations do the same thing. Exactly. I was comparing uh, The Last Airbender and... Do you have your drink ready? Game of Thrones. Oh my god, please no one follow that drinking game. You're gonna <laughs> yeah. die. Yeah, we already don't. mentioned Supergirl. Like, oh my god, no. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We already mentioned Supergirl. There's Game of Thrones. Yeah. Uh, but just, like... um when you have, you know, a, a long story, like, you know, the last air, uh, Avatar, the last airbender, like a song of ice and fire, the temptation to just like, you know, you have to focus on hitting those big moments. The temptation to focus on like, okay, this, this year we have to get to the red wedding. So everything is going to be like around that and how right. we can build the episode around that. And we have to pace everything. So everything like that. And then next year, okay. So the big set piece is going to be the battle at the wall. So we have to plan everything around that. Like, that really, really shows and not in a good way, you know? Mm-hmm. I, right. And I do think actually Last Airbender is the perfect example of that. Um, yeah. Which ties in so well with our final segment. But like, in general, you can, they are just 
rushed through set pieces mm-hmm. from book one of Avatar The Last Airbender, and yeah. there's no, like, cohesiveness or real explanation, and because Shyamalan didn't, like, know how to get them there without yeah. these character arc backdrops, he just had Katara narrate yeah. everything. You know, I think an, possibly an even better example of the set piece thing is Harry Potter 4. Oh. Because yeah. mm-hmm. it's just, like, you know, there's, there's like, I remember just being this, this, like, sharp division between, like, each of the tasks, you know? Like, uh-huh. oh, now it's time for task two. Oh, now it's time for the Yule Ball. And there's, like, discrete segments that was of story. was such a bad movie, yeah. Where, like, you know, when you're reading, when you're reading the books, like, there's, there's kind of, like, connecting segments between those mm-hmm. blocks. But in the movie, it was just, like, <laughs> these discrete plot points. And just, like, okay, now the Yule Ball's over, so it's time for the second task. You know? Like, just... Mm-hmm. And, like... And this is, it's, this is where, like, adaptation gets really, really hard, and you have sympathy for that, but at the same time, like, well, you I end think up I, with two stories that bear only superficial resemblances to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure it's even so much, um, a difficulty thing. It's that there's an emphasis on the wrong stuff. Yeah. That people right. read the, re- people read the source material as the shit that happens, and then when they when they go to make a movie out of it, they just include the shit that happened instead of, you know. But the thing is that you often have the source material as a kind of crutch that people can use, you know? Like, when I watched the fourth Harry Potter movie, like, I knew what was going on because I knew the book by heart, you know? Right. And, you know, and if you have that kind of, if you have that goodwill, then you can fill it in for them. You can do the writer's job. You can honeypot, basically. Like, Mm -hmm. um... You know, like in, if you rewatch Revenge of the Sith after years and years and years of watching the Clone Wars and all the source material and people way more competent than George Lucas, like filling in all those gaps for you. <laughs> right. And then you watch Revenge of the Sith. If you have that goodwill, you're like, oh, I can see, I can fill in that story because I watched a much better show. And so I know Anakin is a character, even though it's not on screen, but it's in my head. So, you know, like, and a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of bad adaptations get away with it because their source material is so good. Yeah. Right. Right. And typically people, I mean, not always, but typically you have at least a significant portion, significant portion of your audience mm-hmm. is one that was a pre-existing fan. Like yeah. they are ones who like have engaged with the source material. And so they are going to fill in the gaps that are left out yeah. um, most of the time in your adaptation. Yeah. Right. I'm trying to think, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think of a bad adaptation that doesn't do this. Mm-hmm. And the only one I'm coming up with is Cat in the Hat. <laughs> that just fills in way too much. <laughs> yeah, that just like went on its own thing. And it's like, this is not a movie that needed padding or should have had padding. Oh my gosh. What about the Hobbit movies? Oh my god. Don't get me started. No, like, no, but like, those are good examples of like yeah. bad adaptations because what they adapted was like the plot points. Of, like, they go from this thing to this thing, and then they do this thing, but without understanding that, like, the characters are what get them there. Yeah, same, with, Lord of, same to... with, like, I think towards the end of Lord of the Rings, it was the same problem. Yes. Like, you I, had this, one of the like, things that was really apparent in The Last Airbender that's also kind of um, worked a lot in Game of Thrones is that, like, you have these moments that you know are supposed to be significant. But you mm-hmm. don't know why. But you don't know why. Yep. And it's right. often because they're significant in source material. And you do know why in the source material. Mm-hmm. Because the author put the work in. Right? Like the, like Sokka and Yue's relationship in, 
in the last mm-hmm. Airbender is just like it's literally just like and then they fell in love. I mean, they Katara said they fell in love. Yeah. Julia, what more do you need? And then you're supposed to be moved when she like sacrifices herself, right? Well, I was because it's Seychelles Gabriel. Well, that's yeah. We can talk about how acting affects this stuff, but <laughs> like, but like you know, if you had nobody had goodwill for this movie when they watched it, but like you know, if you're like, oh, I remember you know the Siege of the North Part Two, and I cried, and oh poor Yui, and then like you know he was like my first girlfriend turned into the moon, and I was moved. But like that's rough, that's buddy. rough, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, that's a really good, that's a really good way to transition, but I guess, is there any end cap we want to put on this adaptational series? Did we learn anything? Um. Game of Thrones is a really bad adaptation. <laughs> I, I was gonna say, reasons. <laughs> I was gonna say, we learned that our breadth of adaptations with which we have a comfort, a comfort talking about are very limited. <laughs> but, um, yeah. The know. five hour Pride and Prejudice is a really good one. Yeah. Oh my god. It's really, really good. Watch that. It really is. Mm. It's so gifable. Like, who knew? Right? And on that note. <laughs> Ong Air bended a sphere around them and ice formed and they couldn't remember anything after that. So for our final segment tonight, uh, or today, I don't know when you're watching it. Could be morning. I don't want to assume your schedule. Uh, this is actually very unthemed to what we're talking about, both for being uncomfortably old but we don't care and (laughs) when we were talking about the last airbender we are gonna finally just have a segment on avatar the last airbender and the legend of korra you know Mm -hmm. just just a 20 minute chat about why the hell we keep talking about it because it's very good that's why because it's so relevant okay well let's expand on that expand on that (laughs) gretchen let's let's talk about why it's so relevant um i mean we can start by saying that like one of the reasons i think that atla is still relevant is because of Legend of Korra. Do people call it Atla? Avatar yes. The Last Airbender. I've never actually heard anyone call it that. I like, call it Atla in my brain. I, I do too. But what do you, but uh I think you are not wrong about that, Gretchen, because I think one of the biggest themes of Legend of Korra it's actually really cool when you think about it. Because what it was was Bryk, Brian Konietzko and Michael Dante Di Martino. Break. Wrote Avatar, right, break together. It's their ship name. Wrote Avatar The Last <laughs> Airbender with Aang very clearly in mind. They had a pretty like solid arc for him and that's kind of hero they were used to writing. Like that, that reluctant hero, pacifist, monk character. And they wanted to take him and make the complete opposite for Legend of Korra. So they made a very overeager hero that the world didn't want. And they made her like, Accidentally, very physical. Super, very physical, and really not into the spiritual stuff. She wants to punch things. Yeah, yeah. She, well, I, that, that, that's why Project Voice been is so genius because she's just like violence happy. We gotta oh. kill the president. We gotta kill him. <laughs> Politics are so boring. No, and what ended up happening was that sort of inadvertently, Legend of Korra answered a lot of I won't even say mistakes of Avatar. But certainly holes and things that were a little uncomfortable. Like, um, Azula was a kind of sexualized villain, right? And then compare that to the female villain we ended up with, which was Kuvira, who is, like, complete opposite. But there's just, like, little pieces of that where you're seeing just in messaging and just, like, certain elements. There's an absent mother problem, right? And then Mm -hmm. fucking Suyid Beifang. You know what I'm saying? 
And I, I think yeah. in that way, it kept Avatar, like, because it's, you know, the whole universe now. These aren't mm-hmm. really desperate shows. Desperate. Disparate. 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 Yes, thank you. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Trust the linguist to correct your pronunciation. <laughs> and I think you are right that, like, Korra is actually a show that gives Avatar a deeper appreciation, like, knowing what's coming. Right. Yeah, I mean, the amount of world building that they did kind of in the transition between uh, mm-hmm. the first installment and the second installment, you know, like, you have, you basically had what happened in The Last Airbender kind of, like, usher in this kind of new era where, like, there was constructive kind of progress as opposed to the destructive kind of progress that the Fire Nation was all about, you know, mm-hmm. and then by the time you get to Korra, there's, you know, there's industrialization, like, they have radios, and it's, like... Kind of, and- yeah, you can kind of, like, see the world on this projection of just, like, change, and Korra is all about that. It's all about, like, you know, change and the balance between change and tradition. And- yeah, she rips she rips a uh, new spiritual age into being. She just yeah. is like, this is happening. Right, and I think that, like, that's an important... Just that theme of, like, moving forward and progress, I think mm-hmm. retroactively then, like, re-engages Avatar The Last Airbender. Yeah, but when you think about, like, Aang, he was literally frozen for a hundred years, you know? He's kind of, like, right. this, like, a relic. Like, he's literally, like, you know, a relic. He is, yeah. And Korra is just so the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. She, she is a painfully modern protagonist in a way like she's the most intersectional character (laughs) i have ever seen on television period and i'm not really sure i see this being topped because we're talking in indigenous mentally ill queer woman like Mm -hmm. where are you going to get that anywhere else um i'm thinking of how she could be more intersectional Um, but she like she is she's like a really she's a really intersectional character Mm -hmm. yeah that's the point Right, yeah. And I think that, like, when you compare that to... I don't even really want to compare it, but, like, I think it does, I mean, like... I like, I like Aang, you know? Like, I know yeah. that, uh, Kylie, you say that you kind of have Aang fatigue, I suppose. You're kind of over Aang as a character. Well, he's just... He didn't... Compared to all the other characters, he just didn't yeah, really well, do much true. for me. Well, he, I mean, he's fairly... He's a fairly generic... Mm-hmm. Like, he's fairly generic. Yeah, like, in, he still in is, some ways. you know... He's not white, and he's a survivor of genocide. Like, yeah. It's not right. like he's, he's an uninteresting character. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, I was more drawn to, you know, Sokka and Toph and Zuko and oh, Katara. Sure. That's just, mm-hmm. yeah. It's like, literally everyone right. else. Yeah, the side characters. <laughs> That's how I feel about Sex in the City. <laughs> <laughs> the side characters are, are more no, interesting. No, just like, everyone is more interesting than Carrie. <laughs> like, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're yeah. right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But I think another good thing to talk about with, like, why Atla, sorry, I keep saying it, Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra, um, are so, is so relevant is because it really is one of the best modern examples that we have of writers who listen to their characters and their audience. And without being, like, too pushovery about it. Yeah, they're not being pandering, but they're definitely listening to what their characters are saying. You know, filling prompts from their fans or something like that. You know, they're not. Because the way that, like, you know, there's there's a portion of the fandom that's not as happy about Korosami as we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've, they've really stood their ground in that, and I think in a very dignified way. Right. Well, e- even even right from the start, Brian said, there's a lot of people who are going to accuse us of fan service, but which yeah. fans? Which, who are we servicing? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and they, like, they course corrected in a way yes. that I've 
I have rarely seen a piece of media be able to course correct the way that they have. Yeah, like they course corrected in a way that made their previous mistakes meaningful. Like it became yes. part of Cora's learning experience as well as theirs, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Absolutely. Book two of Cora <laughs> is the hottest of all the hot messes, but I think on a like the intellectual only thing really level, that's it's not forgettable, fat- I think, in book two is the Bolin is the, and Esca, uh, stuff. Esca. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, the, and no, even even that even that they answered with Opal explaining positive consent to Bolin. It's not perfect, but they yeah. put that in there very specifically for that. But like, it, what I'm saying is like, book two as a form, they sort of accidentally got rid of the patriarchy. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if they realize how destabilizing of a narrative well, book they did two have was. Fucked a lot better than deadpan. <laughs> But mm-hmm. then, so like, no, they seriously, they broke the wheel, but mm-hmm. then they had the bravery to, in book three, call it a breath, a breath of fresh air and really run with it. You yeah, know? right. And like, like Korra, Korra was the new avatar of the spiritual age. Like, and they just. And like, it's not like it came for free or was like, you know, unanimously a good thing. Like the way that she lost contact with her past lives. Like that was so fucking brave. I can't believe, oh, I still can't believe they did that. Like, and it still hurts mag- me They didn't sometimes. have it magically fixed at some point. They stuck right. by it, and I yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, yeah. it still hurts me that, like, mm. she's all alone, basically. Like, she, as an avatar, has mm. no wisdom, like, no past lives to give her, like, wisdom and experience. And, like, on the one hand, that's, like, beautiful, because, like, she really does get to just, like, totally like, reset what being an avatar means. But can but that's you imagine also tragic. What, the imposter syndrome she must be dealing with? Oh, my gosh, right? <laughs> like, if you Okay, imposter syndrome is something that... Well, and we see, um, we see we've all been to grad school, too. so we know about imposter syndrome. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we're women. But just, like... Like, I remember, like, I literally remember, like, my first six months of grad school, I was literally waiting for them to tell me it was a mistake. Yep. Like... <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it turns out that we made a mistake accepting you in this program. Sorry. Actually, oh yeah, my master's that. my master's program kind of felt just like this weird fever dream I had, and then yeah. it ended. I was like, okay, but, but like they they put like all of that onto the shoulders of you know this the most intersectional character we can imagine, mm-hmm. and they followed through mm. on implications with her in a way like. She went through a lot in book one and book two. If you watch it, she's basically just getting slapped around by the yeah. plot. And but then, like even but, in book in book three, when like Raiko tries to throw her under the bus. Oh my god! Yeah, and she's just like, yeah, the decisions I've made aren't perfect, but those other decisions I made, and I stand by them. That's so like fucking relevant to women in positions of power. Like just so mm-hmm. fucking relevant. And yet we still see the vulnerability with her. We still see her struggling with all of it. And And it doesn't, and the narrative doesn't make her weaker for it is the thing. No. And you know what, what I think is remarkable is that I think the three of us could probably agree. Mm -hmm. Avatar The Last Airbender is a better written show. It's It's, at least consistent. It's a a better structured show. Yes. As a piece of literature, you know, like I would, I would use like, you know, Avatar The Last Airbender as an example of the way that, you know, literature should be structured. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Legend of Korra, I would not. No. <laughs> Legend of Korra, each season, like, books three and before feel cohesive, but books one and two, like, are just completely different from each other and from the 
back half. And like, if you want to talk about poor pacing, let's talk about book one. But I yeah. think what's fa- but what's interesting to me is that like Avatar: The Last Airbender is very much an external journey. It's a hero's arc. Mm-hmm. Not that that's just- wrong. No, no, yeah. there's nothing wrong with it. It's a very enjoyable show. Yeah. Cora <laughs> couldn't exist without it too. But Cora is an right. internal journey, and mm-hmm. it's a transgressive show in how like how much against the grain it went with what a normal show puts out mm-hmm. and like right. they had an arc about her ptsd what show does this mm-hmm. yeah. my show does it without like not even just flubbing it but just like trying to get it over with as fast as they possibly can <laughs> you know? right exactly i mean really yeah. other than steven universe like i can't think of any other show that has handled well i mean i haven't seen jessica jones but i hear they do that really well um but like it's still like these are exceptions to the yeah, general yeah. rule that like most shows if they even touch ptsd like want like will drop it as soon as they possibly can well and like let's not forget this is a y7 program right yeah, yeah. it's like the, the thing that i've always said about avatar the last airbender that still amazes me to this day is that they managed to talk about war and genocide and abuse in a way that Capital is one, not at all like whitewashy mm-hmm. or dumbing down and two completely appropriate for yeah. children like right. eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I still like, I was there. I saw it. I still don't know how <laughs> they did it. It's just, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I will say Cora, like if you really are a seven year old watching that show, like, yeah, that's going to be heavy. I mean, my son watched it when he was like, Seven and eight, a little older. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but and he's a, he he's thought a the ending was completely unambiguous. Just <laughs> but <laughs> you mean the two women in the matrimony pose? Yeah, didn't make him confused. <laughs> no, he he didn't like explode and just you know want to do he's ballet not, like, or anything like that. It was fine. It's- <laughs> It's almost a sh- I don't want to say it's a shame. Like, Korosami is wonderful, and obviously mm-hmm. I'm super engaged with it. But I do, like, the, the fandom dialogue just of that, like, of those three seconds just completely overshadows everything else. Mm-hmm. But when you step in, back in and both just- a good way and a bad way. Yeah. 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 I agree with that. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, if you just step back and just consider everything that Korra dealt with, like, the show, I mean, not not the character alone, yeah. but the character, too. And you just consider all the different topics covered and, like, the different political philosophies, which I admit are break politics and they're not great, but, like, <laughs> you know, we had an anarchist as the season three villain, right? Yeah. That we had fascists who, like, oh my god, if you didn't think Korra was still relevant, watch book four and just consider what's going on. Like, right? It's yep. so on the nose, down to people burying their heads in the sand like don't worry we can fix this problem later she'll step down i'll be all right it's like okay that's what you feel good about doing um i do feel good i do that i live in canada (laughs) oh my god you're so smug smug (laughs) no well you know what justin trudeau is all big into oil so yeah yeah (laughs) but i mean korasami we were talking about korasami so i mean it's it's worth pointing out that this is Still one of the most intersectional queer ships that I think that, like, queer female fandom has ever gotten. Yeah. It's definitely, like, top five. Like, they're, these are, these are two women of color. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely top five. And again, like, Korra being so ridiculously intersectional. And then, like, even, even in verse, Asami is one of the, 
oppressed majority. It's weird. It's hard to, but she's yeah. a non-bent. She's, she's disempowered. Like apartheid era South Africa, oppressed majority. It's a thing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it, it's, it's like a funky concept to throw around, but just yeah. like the different things, you know, Asami had to deal with police brutality, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's, it's, a plot line she had while at the same time Cora is dealing with, you know... Her love triangle? Uh, well, yeah, but, like, all, all the... You know, her her healing arc and, like, what, what she had to go through with all of that. And it's just, like, what these two women have been through and what they bring to the table for each other is so unique. Mm-hmm. And, again, why seven TV show? Yeah, right. And with the titular character is mm-hmm. the other thing. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's still something that is very noticeable when it comes to, you know, queer fandoms. It's like, and wait, wait, they're both alive. Yeah. Too. Right. Yep. Both alive and happy. And we're get and we're getting comics. We're getting comics that are they going seem to soups happy. Yeah. <laughs> right. That are going to detail them being in love <laughs> and yeah. going on a vacation together. That might as well be a honeymoon. Sexcation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, the comics leave me mixed feelings, especially after North and South for Avatar. Holy crap. Uh, I'll talk about that at some point. At least, yep. yeah, we could do a section on yeah, accidental talk, imperialism, about, like no, pro-imperialism just, uh, comics. Whoops. And why Katara deserved better. Oh we my god, for that. so bad. We could do an entire podcast on Katara. We totally but, could. um, in general, like, this is still a relationship being celebrated, and this is, these are comics being written by one of the two showrunners. Like, that's amazing. That this mm-hmm. is still a narrative they both want to engage with on that level. Right. And are still very much like invested, as you said earlier, in like making clear exactly how important this story is and how important Korosami is. Like neither one of them has kind of like let that thread drop no. in the intervening years. They've continued to say like, no, they're together. They're a thing. This is important. Like they're still actively engaged with their fans. Um and even and for that reason, I think it's still relevant because totally. Yeah, this show ended in 2014. You know, did it? Oh my god, we're old. I <laughs> know, I know. It's hard to think. Of, like it's it, it ended two and a half years ago. And I'm we still, we like, were already like BFFs when the show ended, and that was in 2014. It's what made you join Tumblr because I was like posting all the time on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was the end of 2014. We've known each other a while, dear. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> And then Gretchen came along. Yeah. Yeah. And we became an OT3. Yay. We're so happy we have real shippers. Yeah. <laughs> Gretchen integrated into our relationship, like, so naturally. It was it was beautiful. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking about, like, that ended before I met you guys. That's weird. There was a time before I met you guys. Huh. I right? know. Yeah. It's hard to think about. <laughs> well, okay. So this segment began on us talking about, you know, how great the show is. And it just ended on us affirming our love for each other. Because exactly. that's what Cora does. It cor- yes. it brings people together and affirms love. Exactly. And balance. Yeah. Yes. We have so much of that. Yeah. And actually, um, Gretchen and I, I don't know when, because someone's going to South Africa for- Sorry, I'm going on vacation. I'm going to be like Julie in Burning Love, which is like, please, no! <laughs> <laughs> like, dragging myself. Like, I'm going to be holding onto your ankles as you're trying to get on the plane. Um. But Gretchen and I do have a piece that we need to write, like, it, we need to, about Cora's healing arc. Yeah. Uh, that just, it will happen, a time yep. TBD, but that's just such an important piece of, of this media, too. And, and yeah, the, the final conversation with Tenzin, there was wording that probably should have been altered, but the message 
And the general yeah. theme is just so worth it. If you want to see how it should be altered, you should read Kylie's fic. God, I need to get that chapter out. Oh my god. <laughs> why does it why does it always come down to fanfic? Because oh my god. our fanfic is the best. Well, Kylie's fan she thinks my fanfic is the best, I think her fanfic is the best, so somehow it balances. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, balance. My- yeah, my my fanfic hasn't been updated in a while, so I'm just full of guilt. Thank you for bringing that up on the podcast. <laughs> no problem. And on that note, if you <laughs> liked what you heard today, please drop us a like or a review and however you're listening to this. If you are listening to us on an Android and you use whatever app that is, I understand that maybe you can't leave reviews and you might just need to go to the iTunes desktop, but that's what helps us be searchable. So yeah. we wouldn't we wouldn't ask if it wasn't like for a purpose yeah. and all that. Yep. And if that's too much trouble, then just tell a friend about the show. Yes. Yeah. And also come to our website. We post these episodes on there. You can maybe have a, a chat in the comments and be like, yo, can you stop talking about Legend of Korra? <laughs> get it. <laughs> Get it? You like it? Stop talking yeah. about it. <laughs> but we really like you it. You can express your feelings through merch. Yeah. Can. yeah. Yep. Our store is open. We uh, actually just switched stores. So we yes. have better quality material for cheaper. Hooray. Mm-hmm. And more options. Yeah. Yeah. And basically the price that you see is the price that you get. There's no shipping. So, like, yeah. it's built in, and it's just really, it's just a better all-around situation. Some of the color choices went away from our old merch, but, like, this is totally worth it in the long run. Unfortunately, yeah. it means the snapbacks are gone, but it's okay. I will, or maybe <sighs> we still have that. I forget, but whatever. I don't think we do. No, check, um, so check oh, that and out. The, the other final thing is if you want to have, like, a long discussion, if you, too, like Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender and feel like having a really long conversation about it, we have a forum for our website that we could start a thread and we could all just like talk about all the things we love about it. And mm-hmm. not have it be in a reblog structure on Tumblr. Not that that's not great. But <laughs> I, I really like forums. I do. It brings me back to my fun Song of Ice and Fire days. <sighs> yeah, so come to thefandamentals.com. Check that out. Otherwise, we will talk to you next time. One more. We're going to record most of the next episode ahead of time so we can still have Gretchen on it. And Yay. Because then, then I'm going on vacation for two weeks to South Africa. We heard. And just making us miserable. I don't mm. know why she's doing this. Because I hate you guys, secretly. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> well, as long as we have fun zippers or whatever. <laughs> We're gonna like have so many things. Like I'm just gonna bookmark everything I want to tell you <laughs> until you get back, and then just hit you with them all at once. I think just like every meme. Like d- Julia did this one time. You went away for a weekend. Like yeah, <laughs> probably three years ago or something. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, and 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 back then Julia and I just wouldn't talk when she went away for a weekend because we used to talk through a private message of a forum. Ah. <laughs> So we just wouldn't talk for three days. And then she'd come back and be like, miss me? And I'd be like, here's everything. <laughs> <laughs> I remember once I went away for a week. I went to Cuba once, I remember. 
That was that very. Was, that was when I was still writing the Princess and the Septa. That was that was a difficult week. Yeah, Aww. I did okay. I wasn't in fetal position, rocking back and forth. I mean, I came back and I gave you like two entire chapters of the Princess and the Septa. You did. That was so nice. It was the was beach party. Cool. Remember the beach party? Oh my god, we have oh, to. Man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We we definitely got to get out of here. I'm so sorry if you're still listening. We love you. <laughs> we love I'm, you more, so I'm much. more worried that like I'm gonna go away for two weeks and then come back and people will be like, "What? You were gone." <laughs> I'll be like, I don't matter anymore. Well, that's that's oh the effect God. we're going to try to create with, oh like, God. good planning. Like a cat. Uh-huh. I didn't exactly. miss you. What are you talking about? Boy, am about? I looking forward to editing this, guys. <laughs> Dear listeners, we will talk to you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. <laughs> Bye. tedious waste of an evening oh my god (laughs) kill me please i'm so excited that's a thing now yeah you have to make it you have to make uh you have to put that sound clip in somewhere what damn tedious waste of an evening i love mr hurst (laughs) he's great if only he had a giant breastplate all right uh so i often wonder what mr uh mrs hurst's sex life is like can we just go (laughs) (laughs) why would you wonder that at all he was just like passed out on the couch i know like what kind of marriage is that i want to know oh my god one of convenience and wealth i guess that's probably the point do they have sex okay so for our final segment (laughs)